Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, it's Asha. Just a warning that this episode contains references to the mosque attacks of March 15th, 2019. Some of the material could be disturbing to some people. This can be hard stuff. If you need to talk to a trained counsellor, just ring 1737. It's November 2019. Eight months since 51 people were killed while worshipping in two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. I really thought I wanted to pass away. I wanted to die too. Four women who lost their husbands in the attacks have allowed us to walk alongside them as they grieve. For me, I've been just trying to keep myself busy and, and focus on my daughter. As they ache. I had lost everything. What could I do? I still remember that particular day, even now. How I don't have anybody. And reflect. Move forward. I love the ocean, so sometimes I would just go and stare at the ocean. And we need to know how to live without them. And try to make sense of such a senseless act. My faith also plays a very significant role in my healing journey. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Asha Abdi. And this is Widows of Shuhada. In character, culture, and circumstance, these women are all different. They share a religion, a belief, but, you know, they live very different lives. Eight months ago, their husbands were killed in New Zealand's worst mass shooting, and they were all kind of thrown together because of that, bundled up and given this new... Heartbreaking distinction. The widows of Shuhada. In this episode, we bring the women together to share their stories, their journeys. Are you ready? You've got everything? Yeah? All right. Hamima Tuyan lives in Singapore with her two sons. Busy with her boys and full-time work as a speech therapist and being more than 8,000 kilometres away. Hamima couldn't join us, but we'll find out how she's getting on soon enough. For now, we're in Christchurch. (laughs) It's a lovely spring day, for the first time since their lives were forever altered. Farah Talal, Muhubba Ali Jamat, and Sanjida Jamaniha are sitting down together. Our Muslim community in Christchurch is pretty small, so, you know, we all pretty much know each other, or at least we've heard of each other. Farah and Muhubba were together on Hajj, the annual pilgrimage to Mecca that over 200 Kiwi Muslims attended 
as the guests of the King of Saudi Arabia. Neha came to New Zealand after her husband died in the attacks, so was new to the Muslim community here. But everyone knows Neha as the mum of baby Nord, the only child born of a martyr since the attacks. Her baby Nord, now eight weeks old, has come to our gathering too. Between feeds, she's passed around for cuddles, giving the odd, cute baby grin. We're eating seasoned nuts and chocolate biscuits, drinking Somali tea brewed by my mum. So there's mostly Muslim women in the room, all wearing hijab of various colours and styles, sitting really close together on two couches and a couple of soft chairs. It's a comfortable, friendly gathering. But the mood is, naturally, kind of heavy. Muhubba was at the mosque on March 15th when her husband, 77-year-old Sheikh Musa, was killed. But she's so traumatised by what she saw that day that she hasn't been able to talk about it. Maybe it's the setting, or maybe it's just her mood on the day. But Muhubba begins to open up for the first time. As tears roll down her face, she talks about Sheikh Musa and how he was a kind man, loved by the entire community, both Muslims and non-Muslims. My husband, everybody knows. The next-door neighbours and other people, they didn't know he had passed away. So a couple of guys, they came and said, where is he? Because they wanted to see him. And I told him he had passed away. They were very sad. Muhubba and Sheikh Musa have always been a part of my life. And since his death, Auntie Muhubba and Mum have become really close. So I see her quite a bit. But Muhubba spends most of her time at home since the attacks. She does attend Friday prayers at the masjid and sometimes goes to women-only fitness classes at the YMCA. She's getting help from some support organisations. But her life has been very quiet without Sheikh Musa around. So I think we were all really, really surprised when the conversation took this turn. I was there in the mosque and I saw lots of people, you know, top of each other. And that is the hardest bit for me and I can't talk about it. That is the pain I feel every time, you know. I feel something really, really sad. I really thought I wanted to pass away. I wanted to die too. But you didn't, so there's definitely still something. There is a, there's a message and people still need you in their lives. That's Farah Talal. We still need you, Khalta, to be around, auntie. Qaltu means auntie. Like the way you'd call your mum's friends, auntie. May Allah make it easy for her because she's living a total different experience. I wasn't there and I didn't go there and I didn't even see some of the widows went there and and they had to stop on the end of the street. So they saw the mess, they saw the blood, they even saw the rifle thrown in the way. Mm-hmm. And they're also struggling in another different way because, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's mm-hmm. part of what Allah, I don't know, I honestly don't know.
Farah's husband, Atelian, was killed in the March massacre. You'll remember he was the entrepreneur who started an IT business. He also represented New Zealand on the national futsal team. Farah works at an Islamic daycare, the one I went to as a kid. But she's not working much these days. She spends time with her mum, who came from Jordan after the tragedy, with some of her friends, and of course, with Aya, her two-year-old daughter. For me, I've been just trying to keep myself busy and, and focus on my daughter. Like, I'm just trying to make sure that she's, she's happy and that, because she's still true, like, she's still not 100% aware of what's happening and what has happened, in, in a way. For me, I just feel like I had to make sure that she's coping with all these changes because it's not easy for a toddler, and especially now that her dad is not around and she's used to him traveling, and every time she would hear an airplane, like, is that, is that daddy? Where's daddy? And then I tried to explain to her that now he's in Jannah. So, Jannah means heaven in Arabic. Here's our religious advisor, Jumaya Jones. So the concept of heaven in Islam, or what we call Jannah in Arabic, so those who live in Jannah, they live there eternally, surrounded by flowing rivers of honey, flowing rivers of wine. And this is the best part I like. All of us will be 30, about 30 years old <laughs> at the prime of our life. <laughs> so those who are in Jannah, they will be happy. Everything they want, they will have it. There won't be any envy or hatred. And all these negative things do not exist anymore. So basically, the best place Aya could picture for her father, who was 33 when he was killed. Let's get back to Farah. And then at some point, I'd had to show her that this is his phone. And he, his phone had blood on it. But alhamdulillah... It wasn't very, I, I did not wipe it, I couldn't, because I, want, I wanted to keep it, but alhamdulillah it was off, so she couldn't tell, obviously. But I'm like, see, daddy forgot his phone, that's why he's not calling. But daddy loves you, and daddy loves mommy, and he loves us, and he didn't leave, but he had to go to this place. Basically, it's, it's the family and, and, and the love that you receive, and, and most importantly, Aya receives. And, and sometimes the gatherings could keep your mind away, or just walking in the park, or I love the ocean, so... Sometimes I would just go and stare at the ocean and we need to know how to live without them. And this is the tricky part that I feel it's, it's more like a learning journey. And what's making Farah keep going is not what's making Niha keep moving forward or keep going. And it's not what's making Auntie Muhibbu. So I think we're all different and, and you're never ever going to find a one answer that will fit all because we're different people and we all grieve differently and we all take different times. And, and what's making, you know, it's just... SubhanAllah, it's, it's a learning journey. The two hardest things are our people die and then their bodies were held for a week. Mahup is right. This was really hard for our Muslim community. The families of the victims of the mosque terror attacks are getting angry at the changing deadline to release the bodies. Uh, obviously that uh, people are feeling very uneasy about the, the, the time which has taken so far to release the bodies. And uh, on reflection, given that the way we bury, bury our people within 24 hours generally, 
given that this is an extraordinary situation, is still the four days has taken and the bodies have not been returned to their loved ones. It is a, totally unacceptable. We need to, this in our culture, we need to bury the body in 24 hours. They're losing patience there because they want their family to see, you know, and they want to give them good grief. And our belief when somebody dies, when you bury him, when you take him to the cemetery, the family will have rest. That means they know that he died and he's in, uh, in peace now, but because of the situation actually now, Nobody having a rest. The other things is that they were taken away so suddenly. We are not able to help the dead or the injured. Since then, I'm still confused and sometimes I'm not able to remember things very well. I believe it's going to be very hard and then inshallah eventually it's going to be easy. Or easier at least. We'll get used to the pain and we'll be able to move forward, not move on, because I feel that move on is, is painful. I don't like that word. But move forward with their love in her heart and in her life. And inshallah, we'll carry the light and know it in our life. Inshallah. Farah talks about Noor. You'll remember that means light in Arabic. It's also the name Niha, the 21 year old widow from Bangladesh chose for her newborn daughter, signifying the place where her father was killed, Al-Nur Mosque. You know, when a lady has to deliver a baby, her mother or her in-laws or at least her husband is with her. When I was having my delivery with Noor, I didn't have anybody at all with me, neither anyone from my own family, nor my in-laws, nor even my own husband. I had lost everything. What could I do? Allah has given me courage and Noor was born. Somehow days are passing by, but I still remember that particular day, even now, how I don't have anybody. This is not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that her husband came here it's not a coincidence that she got pregnant. And it's not a coincidence that Noor was born. It's also not a coincidence that he was chosen to be a martyr. Just like it's not a coincidence that Atta was chosen. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, you've heard of this Islamic idea before in our series. That the 51 martyrs were chosen by Allah to die on that horrible day. So firstly, we have to understand that as human beings, we have choice. Choice to do good, choice to do bad. But ultimately, uh, some things are predestined. Like for example, the day you're born, or when you die, or when you get sick, all these are things that are predestined that will happen. So when I get sick, I don't start saying, oh, God, why me? I say, Alhamdulillah. I say, Alhamdulillah, because he is testing me. He loves me. That's why he is testing me. He's reminding me to go back to him. This is how we feel. So for somebody who passed away or got killed, he was chosen, like Atta. He was chosen to be a martyr. We believe that he is in a good place. He was a special person. 
and as painful as it is to think that our daughters are going to grow in the absence and the shade of their fathers and that they will only get to know them through our stories and memories in the eyes of people and their love their grandparents, their uncles and aunties, their friends. But Allah knows that Niha is very strong and so is myself inshallah and the other widows. And that it's a test, but inshallah there will be a big reward. So we just have to learn how to take our strength from him and how to raise our daughters to be strong and confident, loving. <coughs> I got a lot of support from Asma. The kind of courage you need to face the challenges in a new country. I didn't have that courage in me earlier. Asma Azar took Niha into her home shortly after she arrived in New Zealand, which was a few weeks after the attacks. I have learned it all here in New Zealand since I arrived. Because my daughter is so little, I'm not even able to do anything on my own. She's just a newborn, so she needs me all the time. If I get my mother over here, it'll be great support for me. But my brother, who is only 11, needs her too. I feel that if both of them come here, it'll be very good for me and my family. I am waiting for three things. One is I don't have any visa. I'm waiting for my residence visa and I don't know whether I'll get it. This is the single most important thing for me. It's crucial, really, if Niha is to have the life she wants and that her husband, Omar Farooq, dreamed of for his family. Remember, Niha wasn't automatically entitled to a Christchurch response visa like most of the other widows because she wasn't living in New Zealand at the time of the attacks. She's applied for permanent residency on a humanitarian basis, but after waiting several weeks with no news and a visitor's visa that will soon expire, Niha has taken action. On Voices Today, two widows whose husbands were killed in the Christchurch mosque attacks are being told they have to leave the country. But determined to stay, they are making a last-ditch appeal for Immigration Minister Ian Lees Galloway to save them. And these two are going public to share their story. Two weeks after Niha's plea aired, she's still waiting. And the visa isn't her only concern. Second is my mother. She is very important for my support here. If my mother comes here, then I have to move to a bigger place so we can all live together. I need a house. So all these three things are interlinked. I need all three of them very much. The most help is from my mom because when I am sad or I am crying, she'll be the one who will help me, who will comfort me when I cry. At 59, Muhubba is the oldest widow in this podcast series. But she still needs her mum. It's a pretty universal need, having family around. 
especially in the wake of such pain and trauma. I didn't want to live alone, so I went to live with my mother, two brothers, cousins in their small house. It's very crowded. I'm happy to have them near me. The person who is worse off than me is Niha because she doesn't have anyone around her. She's all alone, standing on her own. Of all the revelations from our day together, this was perhaps the most incredible. As she talked, Mohoppa leaned towards Niha, her hands held over her heart, her face clearly expressing her deep empathy. Somebody who has had a child but does not have a husband. I'm so sad for her. Mohoppa, who herself is in so much pain and shock that she can't talk about her husband or the attacks, still felt the need to reach out to Niha in her immense loneliness as a young mother. <laughs> to Mohoppa, not having a mother and family around made Niha's story the saddest of all. After the attacks, there was this super-huge, massive outpouring of aroha from around the world to our Muslim community, and especially to the people like our widows, who lost so much. I'm almost speechless. It was just to know that the Muslim community know how held they are and how there's no separation between them and us. You know, this is a country for all of us, diversity, love and compassion, and it's, it's obviously cut us all just as deep. It's changed the country because it's such a terrible tragedy. It's a mark that we will never forget. We will never forget these people. We will never forget the day. It's changed the country because it will make us stronger and more determined to be united in the future. I felt the uh, sorrow, felt the hurt, felt the pain. The amount of love that we have received and hugs and tears and flowers and cards has been overwhelming. It's, it's, it's been very beautiful and I sometimes find myself like I, I don't have any words to like, you know, like I've received a lot of gifts from a lot of people. And again, I do believe that it's, it's part of the blessings behind the martyrdom of my husband and, and these beautiful souls who were chosen. And again, it's it's these blessings in disguise, disguise that yes, like my my daughter had like the amount of toys that we've received, and mm-hmm. and as Auntie Mahabu mentioned, the the financial support that we have been receiving and the donations, and and this wasn't in, like it was basically done out of love from from strangers that felt like I'm pretty sure they have tried to put themselves in mitres, and what what would I need if I have lost my husband, my breadwinner, right? And I'm sure that it, this has in a way released some stress that some like you know some people had like alhamdulillah I, I wasn't worried about paying the rent at that time but I'm sure a lot of widows were so again we appreciate that support so the support wasn't just it wasn't just financial I just I just wanted to add with what's happening at the mosque Jemaya Jones meets and greets people when they visit Al-Nur Mosque since the eight days after the tragedy when the mosque was open the amount of people that came into the mosque was like unbelievable we just couldn't stop people coming in. And up to today, we still have those. People just walk in. Every time I come into the mosque, park my car, I've got a group of people waiting to want to come in. 
and they just come out of love, you know. And this is the overwhelming uh, aroha that we have, not only from New Zealanders, but from people from all over the world. They come straight from the airport, they come straight to our mosque, mm. just to pay their condolences. Yeah. We're praying in congregation in the middle of Hagley Park. Shoulder to shoulder in Hagley Park. This was a show of unity that couldn't be further from the mayhem and terror unleashed just metres from here last Friday. It's a sight New Zealand has never seen before. Lengths of fences surrounded a large carpeted area, makeshift prayer mats virtually in the shadows of the Dean Zav Mosque. Thousands of devout Muslims came. Behind them, an estimated 15,000 others wanting to show their support. Now here in Christchurch, we're about to go live to the call to prayer, or Athan, which will be delivered by Imam Latif. Athan is broadcast to the public in many countries to let the Muslim community know it's time for prayer. The call is familiar to many Muslims, indeed familiar to many of us. It is called five times a day before each prayer. And as soon as that call is heard, people stop, they leave their belongings and they prepare to pray. The call gives people a sense of belonging and a feeling like they are home. Now, following the call to prayer today, there will be a two-minute silence and then Imam Fuda will conduct the Jumaq or Friday prayers. Whoever imagined that that could happen and then some ladies chose to wear the hijab to support us and, and feel what it feels like. And so, yeah, and, and then the prime minister and, and how humble she is and, and how true and genuine and her tears. We are here now, but we will be here whenever you need. In the coming days, <coughs> the coming weeks, the coming months. Our show of solidarity is just not here in the here and now. I, I, for me, I just hope for the best and I hope for that one day you know, every person and every affected family can, you know, can say like, Alhamdulillah, I've, I've got what I want. I've got my family around me because I think this is what matters the most. Because when you lose the loved one, you want to have more loved ones around you and more, more family members. So I really pray for Niha that, inshallah, it's just a matter of time and then she'll be reunited with her mother. And, and yeah, that this dark phase of our life will inshallah. end eventually, inshallah. To the New Zealand government, especially to the Prime Minister, as she had a meeting with us at the time, and she spoke to us very kindly, and that when she spoke, my mind became peaceful. New Zealand is a place that we cherish equally for its inclusiveness, for its diversity, and I will consider it my personal mission as Prime Minister to defend that so long as I have the privilege of holding this office. And I know that I have the support of every single Member of Parliament, local government, at every level of New Zealand, absolute unity in that cause and in that mission. And the other thing is New Zealand Police. I also want to thank you because they were called first. They were standing in front of the mosque to try to make us feel safe. And it's not about all New Zealand people who have done something bad to us. It's about one individual person. We want to say thank you to New Zealand people. The government, we are thankful to it, and the Prime Minister, and to Megan Wood. But I guess you need to
But while there's definite gratitude, Neha also has some advice for the New Zealand government. Government has tried to take care of all the shooting attack victims in the same way. I feel what they should do is that they should consider respective victims' requirements individually. Everyone has their own individual problems. I feel that if government takes it from that angle, then everything will be all right. But feeling safe in New Zealand, even with the crackdown on semi-automatic guns, remains a challenge for these women. It's scary. You never know when a person is going to pass with a gun. It's given us a fright. There's a lot of fears out there. And there was a warehouse that literally just opened in Blenheim Road. The warehouse is a new gun store called Gun City that has opened near Farah's house. And uh, every time I, I walk past, I'm like, you know, and I've seen a couple of men leaving with, I'm not sure what's inside the box and I'd rather not think about it. We still need to accept the fact that there's still some racist people around and I don't know, like, unfortunately, the, the monster has inspired a lot of people because mm. it happened. As sad as it is, Farah's words ring true to a lot of us, but her approach is to try to influence change. We have to make sure that we spread love and teach children from a very young age the beauty of diversity. And it's fine if you look different or, or believe different or your, your, your color is different or whatever it is, you're wrapping something around your head, you're wearing this, you're wearing, it's fine, you know, as long as we're all humans at the end of the day. While we sat down with Niha, Farah, and Mohubo, Hamima Tuyan was getting on with life in Singapore. A life without her husband, 46 year old Zachariah Tuyan, the 51st victim of the tragedy. After completing her PhD here in New Zealand, Hamima returned to Singapore to kind of repay the government scholarship she had. She and her two sons had been living in Singapore for about a year when Zachariah, who had stayed in Christchurch for work, was shot several times at Anur Masjid. I am eternally grateful to my siblings, my friends and colleagues who have rallied around me and given me their support. My faith also plays a very significant role in my healing journey. I also hold on to the saying of the Prophet, peace be upon him. He said, no fatigue, nor disease, nor sorrow, nor sadness, nor hurt, nor distress befalls a Muslim, even if it were from the prick of a thorn, but that God expiates some of his or her sins for that. And Allah says in the Quran that he does not burden a soul more than it can bear. So of all those who attended the masjid that Friday, he chose to honour my husband among the 51. And by that, he chose me to go through this learning journey and to uplift me if I patiently persevere. So after a 40 minutes train, 
ride and a bit of a walk. I've reached um, the clinic. It is one of the outpatient satellite clinic of the hospital that I work in. And this clinic is in the central area of Singapore. You might hear the construction going on in the background. This is Singapore. There's always construction going on somewhere. So this building that I work in has a polyclinic as well as other health-related services in one building. It's a very busy morning. Lots of sick elderly people. Like the three other widows, Hamima was moved by the government's action in the wake of the attack. New Zealanders must be proud of Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. If whatever happened to my community had happened to yours, you would want a leader like her to be on your side. We live in an age where politicians have gone beyond using the language of othering to manifesting othering of minorities by keeping them behind walls and in detention centres, illegally confiscating their lands, driving them away to neighbouring countries through violence. And here we have a leader whose first response was, they are us and who has dem demonstrated uncomparable integrity, humanity, and eloquence in speaking on behalf of the grieving. And as different as these four women are, they're all still finding their feet within this new reality. We've lost 51 of our brothers and sisters who each had dreams for themselves and for their loved ones. So every morning that I wake up is a mercy from God. It's another day another chance to live for my boys, to achieve the dreams that my husband had for us. So I have no choice but to step bravely forward together as a family of three into a life ahead without our beloved Baba, but with our beloved Baba alive in us. months after the death of her husband, Mahubwa is at last beginning to speak of his passing and the trauma of being at the mosque that day. Niha and her eight-week-old baby Nord still don't know if they can stay in New Zealand. As for Farah, she is starting to come to terms with the fact that her entire imagined life with Atta and their daughter Aya will now be lived without him. At the gathering, Farah announced that she'd soon be returning to Jordan for a visit with her family. I just need some time to recharge and then come back when I feel like I'm ready. And as for Hamima, she announced that she's planning a short visit to Christchurch to pray in the place where her husband was taken from her. I'm Asha Abdi. Thanks for listening to Widows of Shuhada's third of eight episodes. 
in the next episode. We'll continue on this journey with Niha, Muhubbo, and Farah as they work through their grief, and Hamima as she talks us through the final, gruelling weeks of her husband's life, remembering the pain and the surprises before her husband became the 51st victim to die. This series was produced by Community Access Radio Plains FM for RNZ, made possible by the RNZ New Zealand Oni Innovation Fund. Yeah, so I'm just going to do a quick enough. You can just carry on. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like, quite professional, yeah. I know. That's really yeah, hard. <laughs> it's hard to put into words how much we are grateful to our courageous widows for opening up to help us to understand what their lives have been like since the horrific events of March 15, 2019. Farah, Niha, Mahupo and Hamima Thank you from the bottom of our hearts, and we hope that by sharing your stories, that your lives were made better too. Barakallahu fikum. Lana Hart wrote, produced, and wrangled this podcast into the world with support from Nikki Reese, Jemiah Jones, Asma Azad, and me, Asha Abdi, and a very big helping hand from RNZ's Liz Garten and Tim Watkin. To Kay Almers, RNZ's Senior Commissioner, thank you for taking a chance on us. Lots of others rolled up their sleeves and mucked in, including Bryony Lustavika, Alex Hama, our caring translators Ghali Mohammed and Alka Srivanasan, and the entire team at Plains FM. There are some wonderful photos, taken with love by Janet Gill. Check them out on the RNZ website. The music is mostly from the Egyptian oud player Hasim Shaheen. He gave us permission to use his gorgeous Horse of Darwish piece. And there are some original pieces from local Christchurch musician Liam Oliver. You can find Widows of Shuhada podcast on rnz.co.nz, plainsfm.org.nz, or any podcatcher, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, or Google Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us. And to the 51 who were lost that day, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. We came from Allah, and to Allah we shall return. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.